0: Well, heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you that you are uh, that you are good, Lord. That you chose, that you seek after us. That you choose us, Lord, to uh, as Jess said, bring uh, bring the good news to this world. And so, Lord, let this uh, let this word today be spoken in love. And be heard by all. Amen. Well, good morning. Today is the last day of our spiritual gifts series that we have been discussing over the past three weeks. This series was um, has been done as a result of a test that Jeff had this church go through about a year ago that came back with the diagnosis that our church's body, that this church body's weakest point is in this area of spiritual gifts-based ministry. This means that people are either ignorant of their gifts, not utilizing their gifts, or serving in an area for which they aren't gifted in. So a team was charged with presenting a solution for strengthening this area of weakness. And that team was Karen and Elias Willis, Rich and Darlene Tichter, Billy and Joy Davis, and myself. The purpose of this series was to inform those of you who are already a part of this congregation about how and why you should use your gift. So for the past three weeks, I've been giving a series of many, ser- many sermons, we'll call them, pertaining to spiritual gifts. And if you have been here for those, you will know that they served as a kind of overhead view of this whole topic. And today we'll be quickly going through most of those same points while hanging a little bit longer on the points that uh, that we've deemed most necessary for this uh, church to elaborate on. Sound good? Even if it doesn't, here we go. All right, so we started this series by looking at three aspects of spiritual gifts that I want to cover again this morning. And that is, what are spiritual gifts, who have them, and where do they come from? So let's start by defining them, shall we? Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablements from God to all Christians for the purpose of accomplishing his work within the body of believers. And let's start by looking at this first part, that a spiritual gift is given by God. I had mentioned in the first week that a spiritual gift is distributed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, And that comes from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 11. It says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, And he distributes them, which are spiritual gifts, to each one just as he determines. And so therefore, non-believers do not have spiritual gifts. And this is very important to remember because this does not mean that God is calling us to just use our talents within the church, but our giftings. Every human, whether they are Christian or not, has talents. But if God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives the gifts, and non-believers do not have the Holy Spirit then the only conclusion is, be that, is that the gift that is given is not necessarily a talent that somebody already had. Okay, your talent could be used in conjunction with your gift, and in many times, in many cases, they are, but that doesn't have to be the case. And this is most important for you musically talented people out there. I say you people because I'm the guy who's clapping off beat in the middle of the song and I'm looking around and I'm like, nobody's clapping with me. You know? But for those of you who are musically inclined, just because you have that talent does not automatically mean that you are gifted in that area. You see, when God saves your soul, He changes your heart, not your talents. So if God gifts you in worship while having musical talent is important, just keep in mind that having a reverent heart towards Jesus as king is the true sign of a gift of worship. And that principle goes for all spiritual gifts, right? The world says, oh, you're such a good musician, you should be a worship leader. And God asks, do you lead by example with a reverent heart towards my son? The world says, oh, you have such a big house, your gift must be hospitality. Think of all the parties you could have. And God asked, do you serve those I bring into your home without complaining? The world says, oh, you are such a good communicator, you have to become a pastor or a teacher. And God asked, do you just spit out knowledge? Or are you able to communicate the truth of my word in such a way as to make people wise? And it's for this reason, the reason that God changes the heart of the believer, it's because of that truth that you may find yourself gifted in an area that you could have never seen yourself operating in before you were a Christian. You may have avoided homeless people like they were going to kill you. But then God gave you the gift of mercy and now you have compassion on the downtrodden and the hurting and serve the very people that you were repulsed by before. So look at how your heart has been changed if you are trying to discover what your gift is. Not necessarily what talents you have. Okay, so God gives the gifts. And Christians are the people who have them. Okay, all Christians. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus will not only be saved from their sins, but will also be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift is given by God for his work. 1 Peter 4.10 puts it like this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are two major traps that we can fall into when we receive our spiritual gifts. They are misunderstanding who owns them and how and why we are to use them. So to illustrate, I will need two volunteers whom I have volunteered to come on up and help Jasmine and Thomas. Thank you. Thomas, you can come and stand right here. Jasmine, you can stand right there. Thank you. All right, so in this scenario, I, who represent God, and both Jasmine and Thomas are new believers, okay? So I'm going to give both of them the same spiritual gift, and we'll see where it goes from there. All right, so let's start with Jasmine. Hey, Jasmine. Look, I'm really glad that you and I have become friends. You know, I've been been really trying to get in touch with you for a long time, and so to celebrate our relationship, I wanted to get you a gift. All right, so go ahead and open it. It's yours. Don't be shy. Have you ever opened a gift before? No. (laughs) There you go. I thought it was you, you know, I mean, I thought it really fit you, it, uh, and, you know, I just, uh, you can go ahead and show it off, you know, just show it to the people that you kind of want to show it off to, it's, and you can use it how you want, you know, I have some recommendations as to how, but it's yours, so, you know, just use it as you want, all right? Okay, so, that's one way. Now, here's the other way. Thomas, glad to have you as a part of the team, all right? Now, there's a lot of work that needs to get done, okay? So I want to make sure that you are well-equipped for it. I got you this gift. Here you go. Now, Thomas, this is my tool, okay? I'm entrusting it to you, and I want you to do a good job with it because I'm going to come back, and I'm going to see how you've been using this, okay? So here's the owner manual for how to use it, all right? You have my number. You can call me any place, anytime, anywhere, all right? All right, thanks. Give them a round of applause. You can keep that. No, I'm just kidding. I that. This isn't mine. Now, I want you to look at this verse. All right, look at the wording. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, of course, we don't interact with God like we did in this scenario. You know, it's not, a, it, it's not that kind of an interaction where he literally hands us something. But in light of this verse and in light of all the verses that we've been talking about in this series, answer this for yourself. Which of these interactions is most appropriate to relate to and how God gives us his gifts? All right? there's no question. This is a very important truth that you need to, det- that you need to internalize as it relates to your gifting. And that is that God's gifts are tools, not toys. Toys are pulled out every once in a while and to be marveled at whenever the desire arises, and then when you're done with it, you tuck it away until the feeling comes back to use it again. And tools are to be employed when a job is in need of getting done. You use it whether you prefer it or not because the job requires it. You know, one of my responsibilities at my job at Green Air is to actually issue out company tools to the technicians. Now, when I give out these tools, do you think that I tell them that they can do whatever they want with them? That after their job is done, they can take it home and it's theirs? And that they can use it for their own personal use? Of course not. I say, here is your tool, but this tool does not belong to you. It belongs to this company. So be sure to take good care of it, because when you come back, I wanted to hear about how it was used. I'm going to look at it. You are only a steward of this, not the owner. And so it is with our spiritual gifts. We are to employ them as good stewards. Why? So that we may put the manifold grace of God on display to impact a sinful and dying world. And isn't that amazing? You know, that, that, one, of the way that one of the ways that God shows his amazing grace is through how you use your gift. That word manifold actually means diverse or varied. It's the same word that you would use to describe a rainbow being ver- having a variety of colors. It means that there is a particular aspect of God's grace that he wants you to put on display in a way that nobody else can within this church. It celebrates the body and not the individual. It emphasizes the importance of unity amongst diversity. Unity in purpose, diversity in function. Unity in that we all want to bring glory to God, Diversity in how we each bring glory to God. And if this point isn't understood, and if we don't align ourselves with this truth, then we will fall into the same trap that the church in Corinth fell into that we went over last week. Not understanding the importance of unity will inevitably result in us seeking to disjoint ourselves from the rest of the body. And this is in reference to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 18. So for, it says, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. If it is not, it is not for this reason, it, hold on, this is far away. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less the part of a body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, then where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. When the members within the church at Corinth began being dissatisfied and disengaged, the whole body began to hurt. Now here Paul is describing the church body as if it were a physical body, and through that metaphor he is communicating the necessity of every body part, working together just as it was designed. Feet can't be hands and ears can't be eyes because although their functions are different, their value is equal. And aren't you glad that God didn't design our physical bodies to where every part had a mind of its own? You know, can you imagine you're just walking on your knee's like, you know what, I'm tired. And, just, and then your foot's like, I want to be a hand now, you know? High five, right? And your head would be going, what in the world is going on? Because your brain controls all the rest of the body. And in continuing with this metaphor, in the book of Colossians 1.18, it describes Christ as the head of the body, the head of the church. So we get this image of Christ as head of the church, trying to direct a body that is behaving in this self-destructive manner. And so we have body parts that don't want to behave as they were designed, and we have other body parts that think that they don't need anyone else to operate. All right, and this is verses 19 through 21. It says, If we were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So now Paul moves from addressing those who think that they are too insignificant to addressing those who think that they are too significant. He's moving from inferiority to superiority. These people are blind to their own weaknesses and so puffed up by their giftings that they neglect the rest of the body because they are so caught up by their own capabilities. And before you start to differentiate too much between these two mentalities, they are both actually very similar. Both the inferiority and the superiority mentalities we see here, are born out of a self-serving pride. And both are, in effect, trying to isolate themselves from the rest of the body. Both are born out of pride, or a greater focus on self rather than the whole, and both are seeking isolation from the rest. Now, most of us should be able to recognize the blatant, prideful attitude of the people behaving as though they can do it all on their own. Right? That seems pretty obvious. These are the people who probably have been serving in a position for far too long. Possibly even one that they aren't even gifted in. With no intention of stepping aside or being replaced. These people are set, they're comfortable, and they're isolated. I do my thing, I serve my purpose, and I don't care what anybody else does. That kind of pride is easy to see, but what about the other group who feels unimportant? How are they being prideful? They aren't really, are they? They just need a little encouragement, right? Maybe they just they just need to try harder for another gift. They may even be acting out of humility. Could look that way, couldn't it? But let's look at what's really going on here. All right, God has placed within each member a gifting of His choice. In His divine wisdom, He chose how you were to be gifted. So for that person to deny their gifting, out of not seeing its purpose in the big picture, it is in essence calling into question God's wisdom and his authority. They are essentially saying, thanks God, but no thanks, I'll pass on that. Have you ever seen a child open up a gift on Christmas and you knew instantly that they hated it? If you haven't, I'm sure that my parents have some home videos that they'll let you borrow. (laughs) I think I I was pretty blatant. But the thing is, is that we tolerate that reaction from the child because the toy has a very minor effect and influence in the long run, right? If the child doesn't play with the toy, it's no big deal. But if a construction worker refuses to use a Sawzall because they want to use the hammer drill, the whole operation stops. And our gifts are tools, right? Not toys. Does that person need encouragement? Sure. Encourage them to remember the end goal. And remind them that the part that they play now is vital. Do they need to strive for a different gift? They could. But they also need to be reminded to grow where they are planted in the meantime. So pride and isolation. Sound like tools of anyone that we know? I think Jeff had mentioned them last week. And church, if not corrected, these actions will lead to the ultimate paralysis of the entire body, with Christ being the head, sending neurons of direction to a numb and lifeless body, comatose. In church, there's nothing new under the sun. The issues of first century Corinth are going to be the same for 21st century America. Can you see a a little of what we've discussed over these past few weeks in your own heart? I know I can. In my own heart, I mean. I know I'm prideful. I know I I read these verses, and I know that I'm the kind of person who wants to take it on and do it all himself. My parents can tell you that better than anybody. My wife. Probably even more so now. So, But I know that that's me a terrible delegator. And so I read this, and it humbles me, because I think, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to isolate myself from the rest of your body. So can we at least be a little honest and say that this self-entitled, self-centered, arrogant, and prideful culture of our day, as well as an enemy who wants nothing more than the ineffectiveness of the church body, can we say that all those factors play some kind of a role in influencing us to not edify and build up the body? Humility is going to be the first step towards healing. So say that you accept that you have a gift, you're willing to begin serving, but you aren't really sure what that gifting is. Where do you start? And I had mentioned in the second week that our recommendation to you is that you start serving somewhere. Because understand that some of the gifts that we are called to operate in, in some capacity, whether we're, we're called to operate them in some capacity, whether we are gifted in them or not. Okay? I mean, are, are only those who are gifted in hospitality supposed to be hospitable? Are only those who are gifted in giving supposed to give? Of course not. You know, in the book of Titus, it even just tells the older woman are called to teach the younger women whether they are gifted in teaching or not. And sometimes the best way to discover what our gifting is is just to start serving somewhere and find out. Now this instantly raises a question. Does that mean that you are able to just jump in and start serving wherever you want to? Are there certain, if any, qualifications for service in specific areas within the church? These are very important questions that need answers. And what we are about to talk about may seem a little unrelated, but stay with me. All right, now in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is his apprentice of sorts, on how a church is supposed to operate. And in the third chapter, he lays out specific qualifications for both elders or overseers and deacons. Now, elders are those entrusted with monitoring the spiritual health of the church, I like to think of them as the ones who have the, their fingers on the spiritual pulse. And they kind of can see what's, what's going on. And, and they are called by God to work as servants of the congregation in a position of leadership. They lead by example. Their lifestyle is key to how they are to operate as elders. The qualifications of these individuals is in 1 Timothy Um, 3 verses 1 through 7, but I want to focus more on the position of deacon. Because a deacon is literally translated as one who serves. It is the word used in Acts 6-2, where the disciples were presented with an issue regarding certain women being overlooked when food was being distributed. The 12 disciples of Christ, who are now acting as apostles, starting up the church, were supposed to be devoted to the teaching of the word. So they called the church together and said, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve or literally deacon tables. So deacons have been widely accepted as the ones who are responsible for the temporal affairs of the church. And let's read what the scripture has to say about those entrusted with this level of service within the church. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 15. And after seeing that come up on the screen, I'm not even going to try Let's just go here. <clears throat> 8 through 15. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sword gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar and support of the truth. Now this passage clearly lays out expectation on the life of the believer who is called to serve as a deacon or deaconess. And let me just say, the the qualifications for an elder are actually much more strict. Now I understand that we are talking about spiritual gifts and not offices within the church body, but the point is that our church is in need of people to utilize their giftings in these areas of service. We need people to be entrusted with certain daily, weekly, and monthly affairs of the church so that the other parts of the body can function as they were intended to. And this has been a long and ongoing issue that we've discussed in our team. And nobody can speak to that more than Jeff and John. And this passage says that deacons are supposed to be tested. That means that, they, that there is a trial period where the outcome could be, you know, you aren't fit for this position. We should try something else. How about that? You know, have you ever been to a job interview where the only requirement is that you have a pulse? <laughs> right? My first job was to King's Dominion. I got up in a tie and a suit and everything, and I went, I was so nervous, answered all the questions, then afterwards, they hired me, and they said, yeah, we hired you because you had a tie. I was like, oh, Good. I'm glad I'm such an essential part of this team, you know. The church is not supposed to operate like that. And many do, despite it clearly going against Scripture. They just plug where the, where the holes are. Now, this is not to say that everyone who wants to serve be tested in this way. Right? That is a discussion for another time, but that brings up a point that needs to be addressed and that's depending on how you want to serve and use your gifting, your personal life outside of the church directly influences and affects how you are permitted to serve inside the church. So if you feel that you are gifted in an area that is deemed appropriate for this kind of testing, be prepared for it. Just because you are willing does not mean that you are properly equipped to do it. Right? This is how our military operates, right? Not all who are willing can just go in and and they'll hand them a rifle and say, you're gone, you're, you're good to go. There are strict physical and mental requirements that need to be analyzed before you are allowed to serve in our military, and this is necessary. These men and women are charged with the defense of an entire country. Their lives are on the line, and in the same way, God entrusts us with the word that is able to give wisdom that leads to salvation. We carry the message of eternal life. We are the ones through whom God the Father makes his Son known. And for this reason, God has established strict spiritual requirements for those who desire to utilize their giftings in certain areas of the church. And this flies in the face of this don't judge me mantra that our culture and many Christians have adopted. And before you go throwing that statement around completely out of context, I want you to just answer this question. How is someone supposed to be deemed above reproach without having their personal life looked into? How is someone supposed to be deemed as able to manage their own household without having their home life looked into? we got to move on. So to answer the question of where do you start serving, the answer is is that it's okay to desire to serve in any area of the church. In fact, that's a good thing. But we are all to submit under the authority of God, the authority of his word, and the authority of those that he has called as overseers within the church to decide whether it is appropriate for you to serve in that area. And this is where the growing pains of this church are going to be felt the most. This is our most deficient area of weakness. Which means that we all, no matter what position you serve in, must come humbly before God and seek wisdom as to what part we may or may not have had to play in this hurt. Some will need to step up, and some will need to step down. And it is for this reason that love will be of paramount importance when going through this process in identifying and utilizing and implementing our gifts. Do you think that it was just coincidence that Paul decided to give the most detailed description of love immediately after writing about this topic in 1 Corinthians 13? 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. You think that was coincidence? I don't. I know. Because the church in Corinth was going to have to go through some major changes, a major overhaul. It, and the reminder of the importance of love was necessary. And I do love this church. And I hope they all know that. But love devoid of truth will dissolve into empty, worthless sentimentality. one last point before we close. If you've been coming through these past few weeks and you've heard these challenges in scripture and you've heard what it calls us to and said, "You know, I didn't sign up for this when I asked Jesus into my life." Let me just remind you of something. Nowhere in scripture does it call you to ask Jesus into your life. That's nowhere in the Bible. We use it a lot, and I understand its meaning, but it's not in the Bible. In fact, on the contrary, we are actually told to lay down our lives and follow him. Serving Christ and carrying on with our old lives is not an option for those who are called by him. We don't ask him into our lives. We actually receive our new life when we lay our old ones down. So you did sign up for this, if you want to use your terms, because you were created in Christ Jesus Four good works which God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. Created four good works. You were dead and he made you alive. You didn't call him, he called you. And the church is not here for you. You are here for the church. Not to serve out of guilt, but out of purpose and thanksgiving. So we are not to come as spectators or consumers, but as a body with a set goal in mind. The goal to proclaim the good news of a savior. To tell of a loving God who saves in spite of your circumstances. That's the goal. And if you play your part by being a friendly face that draws people in on the welcoming team at the door, then welcome with enthusiasm. Okay, if you serve through prayer, then fight the good fight of prayer. Persevere knowing that our battle is not in flesh and blood, but it's in the spiritual unseen realm. And if you run a life group, then run it with intentionality. Okay, staying focused and being prepared so that the disciples will be made who will be better equipped to serve and grow the body of Christ. You see how everything that we do, it all comes back to him. And the focus should never be on anyone but him. So for his sake, for Christ's sake, for the sake of the body of Christ, discover your gifting, if you haven't already, and employ it within the church as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Selene, could you come back up? Now, I hope that after this series, some of you are eager to discover your spiritual gifting, whether it be through the tests that we will provide you if you come to the luncheon, which I please encourage all of you to. Or, you know, we have a tendency to try to over overthink and over-spiritualize this whole thing. You know, I mean, your gifting, your three closest Christian friends could probably tell you what your gifting is. You know? And I am eager to see where this church can go if everyone utilizes their gifting. I'm also eager to eat and to fellowship. <laughs> so let me finish with this. All right. For some of you, this series has been an encouragement. Good. Continue using your gifts within the body and do not grow tired of your good work, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not grow weary. For some of you, this series has been a new teaching. Good internalize this and understand that this is an expectation from God for his church, not just this church. So if you leave here thinking that the expectation changes, you're wrong. So always remember the importance of your spiritual gift. And for some of you, this series has been a daunting challenge. Good. It means that you are realizing that faith without works is dead. But take comfort in knowing that God does not call us into a gifting or position that he will not equip you for. And for some of you, this series has been a rebuke. Good. Repent by employing your gift if you don't know what it is. Or identifying it if you do know what it is. No, if you don't know, vice versa, you heard me. And remember that God's conviction is a sign of his grace in your life. So don't turn from it, but embrace it. Amen.